Watch a little already. Amen. Amen. Young fellow in the corner. Children to buy. By the way, children, I'd like you to be in the service. So it's big in it. You could wave, wave to me if you want to. Hello. Pretty shirt. Now, I'm the, good. I'm the center of attraction. Not a moment right now. All right? I love children. And I, I do sometimes, Pastor Moss, I do sometimes wonder if the constant separating of our children from adult events in church is, is the most positive way to create a good church community. Uh, but that's another matter. On Friday, January 20th, 2017, almost two years ago now, President Barack Obama moved away from the White House. He has served two consecutive terms as president of the greatest country on earth, humanly speaking. He made history, plenty of history, by being the first non-white person to serve in that post. And many of the church people believe that it's God's way of affirming that you don't have to be a certain color to be in high positions. Before his becoming president in 2008, he served as a senator representing Illinois, one of the states in the United States. And it was during that period of his senatorship that he published his own book, his autobiography called The Audacity of Hope. The bestseller. Time magazine, and that's how I got involved, published one of his chapters in its October 23rd 2006 edition, and that chapter was called My Spiritual Journey. The my meaning Obap, uh, Barack Obama, My Spiritual Journey. In this chapter, which I read, because I normally buy the Time magazine, he wrote that he went to Alabama in 2004 to give a civil rights speech at the civil rights institution there. But also he used the same trip to visit a very sacred place called the 16th Street Baptist Church. Because it was at this church that on Sunday, keep these dates in mind now, during the Sunday school hour, on September 15, 1963, that the church was bombed. The church bombing was the result of placing 15 stacks of dynamite in the basement. It was right underneath the place where the girls' restroom was on the top. The blast happened, children, tell your other children, 1019 
in the morning of September the 25th, 1963. It became worldwide news. Immediately after the blast, church members wandered around, dazed and bloodied, covered with white powder and splitters from the glass all over them. Apart from the four girls who were murdered, 20 other church members were very badly hurt. The names of those four girls are Addie May Collins, 14 years old. Carol Robertson, 14 years old. Cynthia Wesley, 14 years old. Any 14-year-old girl here? Daughter? Anybody close? 13? Oh, got to work out for that group, eh? But uh, if I were preaching, I would say, what a blessing that 14-year-olds were in church. Don't you think so? And the last was Denise McNair, and she was only 11. Four children of various parents went to church to worship God. These innocent girls, all regaled in their mama and grandma prepared Sunday best. You know how to do that, right? Meticulously prepared by these caring persons. They went to the church house, I guess, to be taught another Bible verse or to recite the one they were given the week before. And also, of course, to sing. I'm sure they must have sung that very morning. Jesus loves me, this I know. Who finishes for me? Come on. Finish it. Perhaps that's what they sang. And perhaps night after night, like many of us, when they knelt down to go to bed, they would pray, Now I lay me down to sleep. Finish it. Go ahead. Maybe that's what they said the night before. See, you've got to capture this human story. Blessed Sunday morning, given by God. And can you believe the ugly story? Can you believe that even during a blessed Sunday morning service in a church, gathered with families to honor God, even there the dark and murderous evil got a powerful stronghold in church? One of the results of this church visit by Senator Obama was his, listen carefully enough, because this has to do with the sermon, was his self-confessed need, he said so, to know where those girls are. His words, quote, I wonder 
where these girls are now. You know, certain events do stir us up. I will now tell you, let him tell you in his own words, that whole story which forms the basis of my presentation today. Are you listening? Here are his words now. This comes from his chapter on my spiritual journey. From his book on audacity of hope. I carried such thoughts with me, the thoughts I just mentioned, with his girls now. now. As I left the church and made my speech. Later that same night, back home in Chicago, I sat at our dinner table watching my daughters laugh and bicker with their mother as she tries to get them to eat the string beans before she took them upstairs to go to sleep. He's still talking. Alone in the kitchen, that night while I was washing the dishes, I imagined my two girls. And the ache of every parent must feel sometime or another that desire to just snatch them up and hold them and lock them in for all eternity. I thought of my daughter, Sasha, the second girl, asking me once, Daddy, what happens when we die? And this is so touching. Daddy, I don't want to die. I hugged her and said to her, My dear child, You've got a long, long time before you have to worry about that. That's, that's, not, that's not true, right? Don't you ever tell a child that. That's not true. And she seemed to be satisfied with that. Now here is the big revelation of Senator Barack Obama. I wondered, though, if I should have told her the truth that I did not know where people go when they die. I said, I don't know. I can't answer her. I can't tell her. So the Senate admitted, I am not sure what happens to people when they die. Wouldn't it have been so much better if he told her the truth? He could even said, well, let's try finding ourselves. Anyway, that's another, another message. But what a blessing, parents, what a blessing that the child asked. Thank God for curiosity as a gift of children. Now, don't you ever shut them down, especially when they probe things of the Spirit and the things of God and the things of the gospel and things of the church. Do turn them off. If you don't have the answer, find it. I 
And so, the probing and penetrating question of young Sasha Obama provides us the title of our message today, Where Do People Go When They Die? <coughs> All of you who now sit before me, if when your children ask you that same question, Mommy, Daddy, where do I go when I die? Or what happens to people when they die? Can you give them a true answer? What will you say? But why should this question be of concern about, of us? One, first, because, is it, because there is no question more urgent. No question more urgent. Hear me. No question more urgent. Because there is no question more necessary. Because there is no question more demanding of a true answer. You could say it like child, you know. You could say that's true. You don't have to whisper it. Because death is the only experience guaranteed us once we become alive. Nothing else is guaranteed. Death is. What an oddity. Our human lives are so ordered that the only guarantee we have is our death. Here is how it's stated in the Bible. For as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after death the judgment. And if such is the case, that death is an absolute certainty, then does it not follow most logically that all of us should be concerned as to what is entailed in this whole issue of dying? Is that not logical? Come on, say something. Is that logical? We may not all not need to know how to get a passport or a visa or a better education or extended wealth, or improved health, or additional friends, or how to go to new places. We might not need all that. But we must all need to be prepared for what is certain, and it is death. When I was not a Christian, despite all of my stupidity, I was sensible enough to believe that people die. And God saw to it that I was reminded every day because at Marsh Harbor, for three years, my, my, my residence was adjacent to the graveyard. We had an outhouse. You know what that is? Every time I left the residence to go to the outhouse, only ten feet away, there were all the graves lying. So every day, death confronted me. So, as you say to now, with your ears tuned to my voice and hopefully to the Holy Spirit's voice, do you have the answer to the question? Where will I go when I die? Not if I die, not if I die.
Who will I be five minutes after I die? It's a big sermon a lot of preachers like to preach. Now let me ask you some other questions because you're finding this out now. Will I simply black out and be no more? Will death annihilate me and I, I'm just gone and I don't be existing anymore? Many people are teaching that now. That's why they say, eat, drink, because when death comes, nothing else. Nothing else after death. You better get it now. That lie forces many people to greed, get ready, to pleasure as the purpose of life. To spend the night, you can't go home too early, you gotta go home 4 a.m. in the morning. You gotta stretch your night and your fun time as much as you can get. Drink as much liquor, you don't just taste it, you gulp it because when this life ends, nothing else. It produces a strange, wicked, senseless living. A false understanding of death makes your life meaningless and purposeless. Will I still have full consciousness after I die? Will I know that I am a person continuing to live? Thank God. The answer to the question has not been made complicated. There is a sure answer. But there's no course in the University of the Bahamas to answer this question. Or any other universities in the world. They don't bother with this stuff. Because for them, the only thing is life. Some churches are now giving up talking about beyond, beyond life. Forget about that. Get it now. Thank God we can know. But for this kind of knowledge, we must turn to only one sort of truth. It's the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. Your pastor mentioned earlier that some people in that study of Mark didn't uh, know many things. There's a lot of I don't want to find you now, but I mean, I got to say it like this. There's a lot of dumbness in the church. You know that? I'll tell you one of the problems is that many church members believe the only people who need to know about the Bible are the preachers. So all they want to do is hear his sermons. And half the time they don't listen to that either. But in terms of learning and grasping for themselves and their own intellectual understanding and their own spiritual... But yet they'll push their children to take any course on every course they could find, either on the line or at school. Boy, get your education! But some of them don't even see that their children enter into a place where they can get spiritual education. I'm serious about this. I'm angry that an intellectual Christian says to his 
16-year-old. Yeah, well, if you don't want to go to church, it's all right. Do you know how common that is said? But if he said on Monday, same child, said to mama or daddy on Monday, I'm going to school, get your behind out of here, boy. <laughs> you see how, see, see how easily the enemy has infiltrated us, but we still believe that what is earthly, what is timely, is the essence, not what is eternal. I'm even push it further. Even the minimal I'm bothering now, even the minimal space where you are concerned put in our church agenda for things of this nature. A week it's seven days. All of those have 24 hours. And sometimes church stuff is eight hours out of all of them weeks and all them hours. Eight. And some of the time, half of that is not taken up by teaching. Friends, I'm telling you something. We need to recapture what Paul said to Timothy. Know the word. So we must search out the scriptures. Thank God we have them. Thank God for those forefathers who saw to it that we got it in our language, in our time. Many died to preserve the Bible from being eradicated from earth. Now, sir, then, what does the Bible say about where do we go when we die? The first authority we turn to is the authority above them all. The Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Yes. You with me, my dear? Pretty dressed? Let me hear you. I'm going to read to you what he says about it now. From John chapter 8. 20 to 24, John's Gospel. This is the King James Version. If you listen to it, I should have given it to the folk to put on the board. Uh, uh, John 8, 20 through 24. <clears throat> These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no man laid hands on him. They wanted to. For his hour was not yet come. 21. Are you with me now? 8 of John. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go away and ye shall seek me but you won't be able to find me. And you shall die in your sins. Because whither I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Commit suicide? Because he said, Whither I go, you cannot come. 
Then he said unto them, more plainly, Jesus liked to do that, get you curious and make you more curious. You are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. 24, this is the key. I said therefore unto you that you will die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you will die in your sins. Are you with me? Are you with Jesus? Are you with Jesus? You think Jesus is, is clever enough to talk about these matters? Bowtie? How much credence do we give to Jesus? Where does he sit in our levels of authority and knowledge? And Is he above the prime minister? You sure? Above the principal at school? Jesus gives us then the first mention of where we go when we die. If you die in your sins, you won't go where I go. So one thing we can say, one place people will go is the place where Jesus is not. You agree with me? Say so. Say amen, brother. Say, say yes, pastor. Say yes, Rex. You're down here on the corner with a beautiful white shirt. Are you with this now? Just imagine how that was for Jesus to, to say that to the people. You know, These were Jewish people. They were temple worshipers. They were Jews, God's chosen people. They had all sorts of accolades. Make, and Jesus said to them, if you, if you people, Jewish blue bloods, if you don't recognize me for who I truly am, God's son and, and your Messiah, you will die in a state called in your sins. And in that state, when you arrive at your destination, it won't be where I am. Be someplace else. You're not as plain as could be. Jesus says, there's a place you'll go, but I won't be there. He didn't name it. He didn't describe it. He only mentioned it. To die in your sins. It seems they, then from what Jesus just said, what determines the destiny of the one who dies is where they are with their sins. There's only one, only two two. <laughs> two states you could be in. You can have them removed or what? Or what? Are they still with you? Now, if, if, I, if I was doing a week on this, we'll talk about the false ideas of people thinking that because they are wonderful church members and they show up on time, and they bring their money. And they offer all the necessary pieces of association. 
Ah, that's going to get me through. I take the communion regularly. Where I grew up, you go to the priest and get your confession regularly. And you do the best you can. You know, murder, you know, thief, you know, lie, you know, it's a good person. Give people, give them a neighbor, but I catch fish, I share it. Ha, <laughs> man, top of the line. <laughs> I got grade A. <laughs> but how does that relate to getting rid of your sins? But sin, sins, no, I don't sin. No, no, not really, you know. I mean, not purposely, not, not intentionally, not willfully, not. Now, once in a while I might, you know, like tell a little, um, like a little white lie, but that ain't no sin. And truly and truly, I don't bother nobody. I don't bother souls. Well, you see, the Bible is a very open book that makes us all guilty sinners. To sin is to transgress anything that God doesn't want happening. That's sin. Sin need not have an action performance. You don't have to act it. According to Jesus, you, you just, what? Think it. Oh, Lord. Now tell me. Now, now who could stand now and say, I am no sinner? If just thinking it puts you in the category of being a sinner, just thinking it, you don't have to lean along on your mind. No, don't be there forever. Just boy if I had to will him I just blow his brains out <laughs> but huh God knows I hate I, I, I just hate to see her come by uh, afraid somebody's making some list and the list is longer than you think sin and sin and sin and sin then there's something else there are sins of omission that is, things you should be doing and you don't. Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart and all thy mind and all thy soul and all thy strength. My God, what? All? Not enough for me to love myself and my family. And So there are sins of omission. That which I should do or don't do. Are you with my dear? In the back there? You hear? So we must all face the fact that our sins are real and true and that we are sinners. Sinners! That ugly word, sinners. Not uh, like we say now these days. Lord, Forgive my shortcomings. That's not a Bible word. <laughs> Lord, forgive my weaknesses. Not a Bible word. Lord, forgive my lapses. Sin. 
So, Jesus says, if you haven't gotten rid of your sins in the proper way, you die with them. If you die with them, where I go, you cannot come. Is that clear then? The first state in which people die, can die, is in their sins. They never in their lives did they say what we call the sinner's prayer. They never said prayer like I said way back in 54, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot by myself get rid of my sins. And what would I do? It's not by what I do, my works, my deeds. I do believe that you died for, oh, hallelujah. Oh, that's what it is, that you died for my sins. Thank God. Ah, my sins, my sins were transferred to him. Oh, Jesus, thank you. The Lord laid upon him. He transferred to him all our iniquities. It's a transfer. It's a substitute. But who benefits from that? Now there's a big talk going around the world now. That since Jesus died for all, that we are all God's children. It's called universalism and other things. No, no. Not because he died for all. You have to respond to the call when you hear it. Anyway. I do believe that you will receive me and forgive me because of what Jesus did in my place. When that happens, our sins are removed. They're forgiven and cleansed and washed. And we are fit to meet Jesus. Now there's a second state in which we could die. This one comes from the voice of of the greatest, in my, in, my opinion, in my opinion, the greatest representative of God on earth since Jesus. I believe that man to be the Apostle Paul. If you study his life and his achievements, it's almost impossible. But what a man! I am debtor to all men. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He now answers the question about, uh, about another way we could die. This comes in a letter he wrote to a Christian church called the Thessal Thessalonians. They had a problem there. He taught them that Jesus would come and when he left they thought that Jesus would be coming and none of those would ever die again. And some died. And they wrote to him and he sent him an answer. He says, among other things, that the dead in Christ shall rise first. So now here's the other way you could die. Jesus said, die in your... Jesus, Paul says, die in... All right. They're the only two ways we could die. Nothing to do about whether you die nicely. When I grew up in Long Island, Charles, how you die? Man, he groaned, he groaned. His face is 
voller Feier. Oh, that ain't a good sign. Yeah, my friends, that nothing to do with it. That has nothing to do with where you will rest. Because some people are painful. The, the, de the death process brought, brought pain, misery, wretchedness, anxiety, fear, worry. So don't transfer those emotional issues with the state of the soul before God. When Stephen the martyr died, he was cut up in rocks. His body, bang, bang, bang. You think he, one of us say, <laughs> I was painting, heard the ogre, ouch, yeah. But that didn't in any way transfer the truth of when he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Don't let people, how we die? No. That has nothing, the physical, emotional, sociological issue of death. You die either in your sins around you, like a rope, or you die in Christ, with the sins removed by that Christ. Are you with me? Paul said, he read persons who come to their death moment, but before they do, they embrace Jesus Christ. We have a good example. And because the clock says I must move, let me move quickly. We have a very powerful, I love this story, and helpful example of this truth fleshed out for us by St. Luke in his gospel. This is the crucifixion scene. Three crosses. Remember the story? Do you remember the story? Oh dear, five of you do. All right. In the midst of this total drama, I don't know how often you go to the cross, but that's a good place to go. Oh, this is sweet. In the midst of that total drama, two men condemned to die on either side of Jesus. Both of these men, according to the Gospels, were heaping it on Jesus. Calling him everything from east to west, north to south. But in the midst of that drama, for reasons not told us, one of those same two who originally joined together to give Jesus a hard time, he had a change of heart. That's a possible experience in the human life. We could have, we could have a change of heart. You could be a wicked bomb, a no good, and it's possible for something to happen and you're completely changed. New person, new man, new woman, new child. This is what happened here. The details are not given us. This, his change was so radical that from his side of the cross, he shouted to his buddy, What's wrong with you, man? Don't you know that you were in the same condition? But this man in the middle of the cross, ain't nothing wrong, you know. 
But you and me, you know we did wrong, and you and I are here because we're supposed to be here. <laughs> One of the few times that a criminal says, I'm getting what I justly deserve. But this man, no! Leave him out! And he said something on that cross that many Christians don't say anymore. Do you not fear God? He became a strong evangelist. Fear God! And then, in the quietness of the moment, he stopped talking to his buddy and he turned directly to Jesus. He said these words, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And I like this. Here's how I put it. And without hesitation, any loss of time, Jesus quickly responded, don't worry. I will see to it that you are in my company today in paradise. Oh, my. What a story. What a story to tell. This man, <coughs> the words of this thief reveal his beliefs. He, he really had some big changes. He believed that death would not end him. He says, when you come into your kingdom, I, I want you to help me. Believing he's going to live after death. He also believed that Jesus would be resurrected. He's going to have a kingdom. He's going to be on the throne. He also was convinced that there's life beyond death. He believed that Jesus could handle his case, whatever it is. And Jesus responded, yes, I hear you. So, I need to say this to you now. Right here, says Jesus, on your bloody cross, I'm putting words in his mouth, of shame and death and disgrace and condemnation. Yes, you whose life has brought no sorrow, uh, brought you many sorrow and pain and shame to your family and your friend and the community. Yes, you who cannot bring me anything. You cannot do anything for me. You cannot give me a tithe offering. You're tied down to a cross. You can't even kneel before me. Just can't move. You can't make restitution to one single human being whom you have wronged. No. You can't learn to creed. You cannot be baptized. You can't join the church. Yes, you man, a total failure. You have my word for it. I say unto you, today, you... A man like you will be with a man like me in paradise. And I have the authority to say it. So this, this young man, before he tasted his death, which happened a few minutes later because the soldiers came and broke his legs to hasten death, 
heard a certain word that he would know where he is going to be after death. Where? In paradise with Jesus. And then we now hear some other words for those of us who die in Christ. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. No more. Not one death. None. No sorrow. Oh, Jesus, thank you. No sorrow. Oh, no sorrow. No crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. You know, I tell people, if that's the only blessing in heaven, give it to me. I don't like pain. No, I don't like pain. No more pain. For the former things are passed away. Now which human creature in his own sensible mind wouldn't want that kind of place to go when they die? Hmm? And you can't go. It's, it, it's often you. It's what Jesus Christ came here for to guarantee you that blessing. But only he can do so. But the other hard-hearted, hard-boiled thief he didn't go there. The way the Bible teaches it, he was near Jesus. That's not enough to be near Jesus. He saw another one blessed by Jesus. There's not enough to hear the testimony of sister and brother. You got to taste yourself. He played the fool. You know what he said? If you use the Christ, come down from the cross and then get us off to get me out of my trouble. He wanted a Jesus to get him out of his trouble. That's as selfish as it could be. That's as earthly and carnal as it could be. We are told that those who die outside of Christ will have an experience of horror. Not much is said about this in our pulpits anymore. But let me repeat it. Situation will be such that unbelief will no longer exist. There are no unbelievers in hell. Conversion took place, but it took place too late. Too late. That's a warning. Jesus himself warned. Be careful. He gave a parable to teach it. They come to the door and they say, open unto us. Open unto us. The answer was, sorry. Door shut. Friends, there's a moment. There's a moment when God's door of mercy and grace and help shuts. And no one can open it. Words like, depart from me. That's hard for God to say, you know. That's hard for God to say. 
after all he did to ensure that you could be being received by him. To have to say, depart from me. They'll be crying and screaming, according to Jesus. Gnashing of teeth. Blaming people. Oh, I don't my friend. You caused this. I followed you. I didn't listen to you. What a hell of a time it will be in hell. No joy. No song. No smile. Nothing to encourage all. Nothing. Darkness and gloom. Misery and wretchedness. Forever and ever and ever and ever without any parole. Never. Just as little piece before I call Pastor. Friends, I must give you this last piece. Because in my world of ministerial people, this there's a shade of wonder. Is, is this punishment stuff literal or is it just a picture or a, a symbol or let that let the man of authority speak? Hear Jesus, Jesus, speaking to people of his time. Listen to Jesus. Dear friends, do not be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't do any more to you after that. Are you listening? You teenagers, you listening? Jesus. I tell you whom to fear. Jesus. Fear God who has the power to kill your body and then throw you into hell. Fear him. We're losing that fear of God. He's the man upstairs. He's my buddy. He's my daddy. He's my good friend. He's a holy God of justice and righteousness and truth and judgment. It's sad. It's sad connecting the story. It's sad that in a world where Bibles are everywhere, where the Gideons have them in hospitals, in schools, in hotels, and uh, in, the, uh, in the army, that President Obama didn't know the answer. And it was in a Bible, a New Testament. So easy, so profuse, all over the place. How sad.